You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, everybody. Cole Thompson from Locked On Aggies here, and let's go ahead and talk about today what went wrong in Oxford, because there was a lot of things that did happen on a positive note. There's a lot wrong. I mean, there was a lot, a lot of wrong that went against the Ole Miss Rebels. Before we begin, thank you very much for making us your first listen every single day right here. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube.com. Yep, brand new channel. Go ahead and click the link below. Hit that subscribe button. You know you want to. You know you need to. So go ahead and do that. And also, follow me on social media, at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show, and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to make this more quality-sounding podcast Monday through Friday, give me a follow, give me a shout-out, and I will add it into the mix. Secondly, Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th man related content found here on LOP. You can subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. Oh boy, where do we begin? Um, ooh, uh, okay, cool. Let's start off with the first thing. Uh, there was a good shot that AM actually could come back and win this game. There was never a doubt in my mind going into halftime that Texas AM was not going to be able to come back and at least fight and win this game. They have shown time and time again that even if they struggle in the first half, they can come back and win in second half games. It's happened before. We watched just a week ago. Auburn and them be tied 3-3 going into halftime, and everything started to click. Everything started to turn around. Everything positive that you could imagine did come into fruition for the likes of the Aggies at home. And it somewhat did. I mean, we can give a lot of credit there. There was the touchdown run from Devon Achen, who did have a, uh, over 100 yards. That's a very good stat line for him. You could also say that the defense did its job to an extent because they did hold the likes of Ole Miss out of the end zone for most of the game until the fourth quarter. They only allowed one touchdown uh, very early on. Everything else was basically field goal, field goal, field goal. So it wasn't as if they were absolutely getting destroyed in that aspect. And Dak Calzada moved the ball efficiently. I mean, there was very much a good drive ensuing on multiple signals. And then we got to talk about the bad. So why don't we go ahead and focus on that real fast? There's two main, th- there's three main things, and I'll break down all three before we go to, you know, before we go to break, and I'll talk about what what good and what else a And could kind of hope for at this point. But let's talk about the first one. This was a very, very, very horrendous run defense. That I did not think I was going to be able to say. If, if say, Tyreek Chappelle got beat by Dontario Drummond or he got beat by Braylon Sanders on one play and it was for like for a 75-yard touchdown, yeah, I would believe it. Because, of again, it's a guy who's been a proven vet inside a Lane Kiffin system versus a freshman still kind of figuring out his ropes and where he kind of sits. So if Chappelle gets broken up or Deuce Harmon gets, you know, gets something like that through the air with Matt Corral, a Heisman favorite, I'm not going to get that mad about it. But... It's the fact that the run defense that I kept saying all last week, I kept telling you guys, watch the run. Because if you can stop the run and force Corral to pass on one leg, basically, you're going to be fine. You're going to be able to make a lot of key plays. And that didn't happen. Jerion Ely had a career-high 146 rushing yards in the day. 124 came in the first half. He didn't find the end zone, but Snoop Connor did on a a 13-yard run after the other thing that we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, you also have the likes of uh, 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 Harry Parrish Jr., I think, have 62 yards. Corral was able to pick up two or three first downs on the ground. So there was a lot. There was a lot of things that happened in this game where AM could have basically won if they took away one of the biggest elements. This was the most rushing yards they gave up on the season, and it was the most in the first half. I mean, if I were to tell you that the score was 15 to nothing, 
What would you say the total yards would have been at, the, at halftime? 190 yards? 230 yards? What if I told you it was 15-0 and they had over 400 yards of offense? Yeah, that's a big problem. That's more so a problem for Lane Kiffin and for the Rebels and what they have to do. It's not really a problem for AM and Jimbo Fisher because, again, you have to figure a way to stop them, but it's very clear that with the final two games of the season against Prairie View A&M and LSU, who is still playing like LSU, not great football, not terrible football, just kind of yeah, football right now. When you look at that, probably a nine-win season is bound to happen in case of any upset alert by at Orgeron, but this was a game where you really needed to ha- ha- handle the run game. This was a game that where if you were to stop the run, you would have been fine. Because the Corral was playing with limited receivers in practice. And keep in mind, he did not practice all week long. He was not on the football field all week. He had Saturday. That was it. And to me, that's a sign of why you have to consider him for the Heisman Trophy finalist. Because of he did this without practice. All this was mental reps. Everything in his head was just mental. Literally going through the motions. Clicking on all cylinders. Finding ways to win based off what he saw on film. Not on what he acted out in practice. But the run defense was so critical in this game. If you were to hold Jerry Ely to, what was it, maybe 100 yards, maybe you'd be able to keep Snoop Connor out of the end zone, this would have been a different story. And I think a lot of people would feel better about AM losing to a team like Ole Miss on the long run instead of what we're feeling right now. Now, the second thing, Zach Calzada. The kid is going to be a legend in, in College Station forever. He is. He is 100% going to be remembered for beating Alabama. He's going to be remembered for his job filling in for Haynes King. And overall, a 9-3 season when you clearly can see a difference between King and Calzada at quarterback is actually a very big win for AM for what it should have been. Because at one point, we were considering them to be the most disappointing team in college football, if not the most disappointing team in the SEC. And at worst, they're probably going to finish in third place in the SEC. At best, if somehow Ole Miss loses one of their last games, they'll be tied for second place with the Rebels. So that's a positive. But it's two throws. The DeMond Demons one, I get you get your hands on it, but dude's a six foot three receiver and he's having to jump for that football. You shouldn't be able to jump for that football. That ball should be just coming right in his hands. And if it's knocked out and it's bobbled at that point, well, then that's on Demas. That is 100% on Demas. But. If the ball lands in his hands as he's up in the air, and then as he's coming down, the cornerback or the linebacker, he's a nickel, they call him a hybrid defender. I forget his name, rough top of my head. But when you get that guy to be able to kind of swat the ball away, then as kind of coming down with it, Damon Demas kind of comes down with it as well. That's as much on the quarterback as it is on the wide receiver. So that's not all on Calzada, but that is partially on Calzada. You can't make that throw. If you're going to make that throw, you have to be pinpoint accurate with it because the last thing you want to do is have your big physical receiver who is six foot three, how to make it look like he's six foot seven because the ball overshoots him. You can't have that. The other interception, it's a mix of plays. I went back and I looked at it. And if you watch the film, Caleb Chapman and Anaya Smith kind of get tangled up on the legs. So to where they're kind of tripping over each other, it kind of throws the trajectory of Smith's route off. And that allows AJ Finley to kind of jump it get the interception, and then run it back for the 52-yard touchdown, you still have to be able to kick that play. I mean, like, that's one of those things where even if Smith would have gone through his entire progression, I still think Finley would have gotten that interception. The difference would have been, I think that you wouldn't have gotten the touchdown, but you still would have gotten that interception. And you had a two-point differential going into that final two drives for A&M on back-to-back interceptions. Two points. 
it was 13 to 15. It's that close. And that was 13 19. Okay. And that was 29 19. And now it's a 13 point differential. And that's where the problem lies. And yes, AM did get another touchdown. They did it with ease and they weren't able to get the, you know, the onside kick to get it back. But again, that's the problem is that those type of interceptions cannot happen more so than ever. The Anaya Smith one, that one can't happen because Finley was basically baiting him. It was an off-ball coverage, and he did a really good job of kind of disguising it. He allowed Chapman and Smith to kind of click each other. Chapman goes a little bit off. There we go. And then that's a pick six, and that's the problem. So that's a big deal. And again, Calzada is limited as a passer. I think I think that we can say that right now. You know, and 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 again, the offensive line did not have a good day. I would say as well, Calzada just regressed. It wasn't positive, but the number one thing. That really hurt AM, and this is the biggest problem. They couldn't run the football. Your physical running back, Isaiah Spiller, was so limited. I mean, he was beyond limited. Every single play, it felt like to stuff behind the line of scrimmage, gain a two, gain a one, gain a three, gain a two, gain a two. And that was about it. I think he had one run of over eight yards. I think one. That's a problem for AM. Because when you look at how the offense is utilized, they love to pound it up the middle, A and B gap. Kind of run a lot of, uh, kind of run a lot of inward plays. Run more of a zone run style. They do that, and they set up third down. And then when they go ahead and they use him on a chain, they use him for speed. And you saw it. I mean, you saw it three or four times. He was able to get at the line of scrimmage, juke out, they a nice little quick start step, and get to the corner. You watched it. It was fantastic. It was a great run design, and he had a very good day. But you need the power to work with the speed. And if you don't have the speed, you don't have the power. And if you don't have the power, you don't have the speed. So when you're limited like that and you're trusting just one running back to be the main focal point of your team, therein lies the problem. The best version of Texas A&M is when number six and number 28 are kind of mirroring each other. When A-Chain is getting 99 yards and Spiller's getting 108. When Spiller's getting 98 yards and A-Chain's getting 102. And they're able to get about 200 rushing yards on the day. And A&M didn't get that. If A&M gets 200 rushing yards, that's four straight games with 200 rushing yards, and that's probably a Five straight winning streak. That's what it is. AM didn't get that. They didn't get even close to that. I think they got like 162. They're still like 40 yards off. Therein lies the problem. First downs was a big deal. 23 versus five in the first half. AM was able to pick it up, but at that point, it just kind of felt a little too late. And now you're kind of back at the drawing board. Everything that you worked for, going from being an unranked team to face off against number one Alabama and basically playing for your season on the line then. And now closing out with a chance to go 9-3, and 10-3 if you win the bowl game. And again, the good news is that you can still have something to play for. There still is a lot to play for for Texas A&M, but every win counts now. Every win counts now. And at the same time, this is going to be really hard for you guys to hear. If you want to go to a New Year's Six bowl game, you got to root for Alabama. Shh, I know, I know, I know. Hold up, hold up. Let's talk about that, and let's go ahead and explain why you want to root for Alabama in that aspect. But before we do, let me tell you about a brand new deal with Price Picks. If you love college football, then guess what? This is made for you. Price Picks is the leader in college sports daily fantasy, and it offers more college football props than anyone out there in the world. They offer any prop you can think of, from yardage to touchdowns to interceptions thrown to receiving yards to number of rushing touchdowns. So if you think Isaiah Spiller is going to have 
five rushing touchdowns. If Zach Hazard is going to have four passing touchdowns against Prairie View A&M this weekend, then go ahead and make your bet now. Get it in. Lock and load it. Get it going. Price Picks is made easy for you. You can make up to six bets. And when you use the promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, you'll receive a 100% instant deposit to match up to $100. Bet the over, bet the under, doesn't matter. And you can do more than just college football. But of course, we know you love college football. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, and it's that easy. Price Picks is safe, and it offers fast withdrawals. So stop sitting on the sidelines. Get into the action today with Price Picks. Fantasy college sports made easy. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Thank you so much for making this your first listen every single day. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube.com. Right down there. All you got to do is hit that button. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast for wherever you get your podcast listening systems. All right. So, why do you want to root for Alabama? Let me explain. Because this is going to be mind-boggling. I know. I know. Nobody in this place is going to want to root for Alabama. And I'm going to tell you right now. I know what you guys are going to say. I'm an Alabama alum. And I, and somebody's called me out in YouTube comments for it. And how do they feel about you being an Alabama alum? Guys, I root for good football. And right now, I want AM to be good at football. I think AM is good for college football. I think when they're good and the SEC is good, and the fact that Texas is coming to the SEC, it's good for college football. I am going to root for Texas AM to finish out the season strong. I want them to get to 10 wins. I thought that they were going to be a 10 and 2 team. I said at the start of the year, I thought they're going to be an 11 and 1 team with the one loss coming to, you guessed it. Ole Miss this weekend. That was my one loss at the very start of the year. I thought they were going to beat Alabama. I thought they were going to beat LSU. I did not think they were going to beat Ole Miss. I thought after everything that I saw, the way that they played, that was going to change. They were going to finish 10-2, and two, and lo and behold, they don't. But here's why you want to root for Alabama. Because Alabama plays Arkansas, and they play Auburn. And if they win those two games, then what happens is they will finish at 11-1, and they will get a chance to play for the college football playoff. If they beat Georgia in Atlanta, which by the way, I'm going to tell you this right now, and people are going to get furious at me in the comments. I don't care. I do not believe in Stetson Bennett. I don't. And you can go ahead and tell me a million ways and whatnot. Oh, well, he's leading this team, and the team is hot, and then sparked iron. Yeah, he's doing just the bare minimum. He's doing just enough to get by. And he's holding JT Daniels at bay because JT Daniels is not fully healthy. If you want to tell me right now the differential between Alabama and Georgia is that I trust the quarterback, one quarterback, one, at Alabama, more than I trust Bennett and an inconsistent, unhealthy JT Daniels. If that's the case, even with all the transfers that you got, even with all the recruits that you got, even though you're playing a little bit injured in the great run game, if you send Stetson Bennett out there and you have no desire to play JT Daniels, Alabama, I think, will win. I absolutely believe that. Alabama will win the SEC. And you're not going to kick Georgia out for being undefeated. And if you don't kick Georgia out for being undefeated, you certainly are not leaving the number two team in the country out of the college football playoff as the SEC champions. So say Alabama wins the SEC championship. I know, I know, I know. AM fans can sit here and go, you know what? Well, we beat the champions of the SEC. We beat the champions of the SEC. You don't want Georgia to win. You do not want Georgia to win because if you want to play in a significant bowl game, correct? Yes or no? It's that simple. Do you want to play in a significant bowl game? Do you want to play in the Texas Bowl? Do you want to play in the Citrus Bowl? Do you want to play in the Capital One Bowl? 
Are those the bowl games you really are interested in playing in? Are those the games that you think that players are interested in going to? Or are they interested in playing in the Sugar Bowl? Are they interested in playing in the Fiesta Bowl or the Peach Bowl or one of these at-large bowl bits? Because if Alabama goes and wins the SEC championship, Georgia is going to be in the college football playoff and Alabama is going to be in the college football playoff. And the way the SEC schedule is right now with how talented Ole Miss has played and also how talented A&M's defense has been all season. Again, 15 points, 400 yards of offense. Keep that in mind. A&M held Ole Miss to 15 points in the first half. They gave up over 400 yards of offense and held them to 15 points. That is something to hold your hat on. If that's the case, voters are looking. Bowl games are looking. They're going to be paying attention to little things like that for marquee matchups. That is a bowl game you want to be in. The Peach Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl. If Alabama loses to Georgia, which I think they could, they absolutely could, they're getting the Sugar Bowl, and Ole Miss is getting the other bowl game. That's going to happen. And then A&M is on the outside looking in for a New Year's Six. That's the reality of it. If Alabama wins, they're still in play. Because you can't tell me right now that a two-loss Michigan team is better than a, a three-loss Texas A&M team. You can't. There's, there's just no way. You cannot tell me that a three-loss Oklahoma team is better, or a two-loss Oklahoma team is better than a three-loss A&M team. You can't. You can't do the same thing with me with uh, Michigan State. You can't do the same thing with me with uh, Wake Forest, Pitt. You can go ahead and tell me all these things that you want to do. Go ahead. Throw them in. How Oklahoma State should be in one and Baylor should be in one and all that. And I will agree with those New Year's Six. I understand the, a the ACC has to have one representative. So if it's Pitt, it's Pitt. If it's Wake, it's Wake. That's it. Same thing with the Pac-12. If the Pac-12 gets a representative in the college football playoff, that's it. I'm not going to play favorites and go ahead and reward a seven-win team to play in the Rose Bowl. I'm not doing that. That's not fair to college football. But what is fair is if, say, Oregon somehow loses one of those games and they still win the and they still win the Pac-12 championship, well, then they're in. That's fair, but that's not going to happen. I think Oregon wins out. I do. If Alabama wins out, that opens up a New Year's Six at-large bid. It doesn't if they lose. So why am I telling you fans to root for Alabama over the likes of Georgia for the remainder of the season? Because of if Alabama goes to the college football playoff, A&M gets a better bowl game. That's the reality of it. If Alabama loses, they get a worse bowl game. And at the end of the day, A&M is playing like a top 10 team. Yes, the record sits here, and we can go do this tomorrow. In fact, probably that's what we're going to do tomorrow. I will look at every team, and I will say, will A&M beat them or not? I'll tell you right now who they wouldn't beat. Georgia, I don't know about Alabama in a five-game series. They probably win two. Maybe they win three and win out. Maybe not. Maybe they wouldn't win. Maybe they wouldn't win at all. And Ole Miss in a five-game series. I don't know if they would win that one. I just don't. Not with Calzada. I, I, I'm sorry. I know that sounds bad. But again, the biggest storyline in this situation was Ole Miss's defense played dominant football for the entire first half and most of the second half. And that was the weakness. The offense did its job. And the offense has done its job all year. I'm not saying that Ole Miss and Alabama and AM are that far apart. They're like here and here. It's like that close. But those are about the three teams I would say. I would think that they would beat Michigan. Michigan struggled against Penn State. I think that they would beat Michigan State. They have struggled immensely at times this year. Nebraska, 
Purdue, look at that. Cincinnati, no, don't give me that. Don't give me that ish. Mm-mm. And I think Cincinnati does not go undefeated. I think they lose to Houston in the AAC championship. That's my personal belief. If that's going to be the case, you want AM in a bigger bowl game because they've earned it. They have. They're a better team than a 9-3 and record. You play Arkansas this weekend instead of when you did in week four, that's a whole different game. You play Mississippi State this weekend and say you did in week five, whole different ball game. That's the reality of it. That's the case that you're looking at if you're Texas A&M. So, yes, I know it's crazy. You want to root for the likes of Alabama. I'm sorry if that offends some people, but if you want to go to a bigger bowl game, if you want to play in a more prominent spotlight, you got to root for Bama. I know it's hard, but you got to do it. This episode of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is unlike any other protein bar that you ever had. Because you know how Built Bar and all these other protein bars are covered in like chalky, kind of mundane kind of style, and it doesn't go down smooth? That's not the case with Built Bar. It's covered in 100% real chocolate. It's soft and easy to chew. It's great for anybody on the keto diet because it's high in protein, high in fiber, low in sugar, low in calories, and it's great for anybody who wants to work out. I take one every single morning before I go work out after my radio show, and I love it. Most bars have about 130 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of nut carbs, 5 grams of protein. You're not going to find a product like this out on the shelves. Go visit BuiltBar.com and type in LOCK15 on the promo code to get 15% off your very first purchase. That's LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Stop eating the salty sweets and enjoy a treat that will meet your needs. Built Bar from BuiltBar.com. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. All right, before we go, I want to give out one star. I do. That is A&M's future. Because if even though the likes of A&M will not finish in the college football playoff rankings, probably they should. They, they, they may get top 10. They may. They may be a top 10 team by the season's end. That may happen. I don't think it does right now. I do think that A&M will fall in the playoff rankings. They were 11. I bet they say top 15. I, I will say that because you got to keep in mind, Baylor lost to, um, uh, Baylor lost to, who am I blanking on? Who was it? TCU. That was it. TCU. They dropped one spot. They dropped one spot. And Oklahoma State moved up one spot after their win. So it's not as if we're sitting here and going, eh, well, you know, that's going to be the case. I still think AM is somewhere in the top 15. I bet they go from 11 to 14. That's my prediction. Finishing 14, winning out the year, and seeing what happens. You still have Bedlam to go through. You still have all the championship games to go through. And if, and if you have teams like an Oklahoma lose two games, so now they have three losses, well, they're not going to be ranked in the top 15. But AM will because their losses are better. Their losses are more significantly better. Arkansas is moving back up in the rankings. Mississippi State is probably moving back up in the rankings. Those are things that are going to happen. So when that's the case, it makes AM look better. The recruiting class right now is right sitting at number two. They are sitting at number two in the country on most uh, most recruiting cycles. SI All-American, they're number four or number three. 24-7, they're number two. On Rivals, they're number three. If they finish out the recruiting game strong, and early recruiting is coming to an end, I think in the next... Uh, was it two or three weeks? We'll get more coverage on that. But they already added Chris Stewart. They already added, they already added Walter Nolan. They added in two marquee names. 
A&M has a very good shot of finishing with the number one recruiting class in the country. If that's the case, and A&M gets that, a 10-win season, and Jimbo Fisher to stay, and by the way, we're going to talk about that someday this week. We have to, because of, again, the rumors aren't stopping, so why don't we go ahead and bring it up? We need content, and that'll be a good one. If they can get all that, and to come back next year with superstars in the making, Antonio Johnson, Edron Cooper, uh, McKinley Jackson, Tyree Chappelle, Deuce Harmon. You still maybe have Damani come back. You still maybe have uh, Tyree Johnson come back. Andre White. You have all these guys defensively who are going to be your staple and your building block. And offensively, guess what? You lose Kenyon Green, but there's Josh Bankhead, there's, um, there's Aki, there's a few other players that you can go ahead and add. Bryce Foster would have a full year of starting experience. Father would have a full year of starting experience. It's Jameer Johnson stays another year, which I believe he can. I'm not entirely sure on that. He would. But you also have two very young tackles as well in Trey Zahn. And um, who am I blanking on the other guy? Uh, I'm blanking on the other name. But either way, you have players who will have experience starting. And a wide receiver core, which has more experience. If Weidemeyer stays, even more experience. And Von Achey will not miss a beat as the lead back. You also add in Ernest Crownover and LJ Johnson to take over the production of what Achey would do or technically what Spiller would do. A&M is in a really good spot. Like they're in a very good spot to not just win the SEC West and not just contend for a college football playoff berth, but maybe win the national title in 2022. A lot of things have got to go right, but everyone's sitting out there this morning putting your heads down and going, oh, well, you know, we didn't finish with, you know, a college football playoff berth. It's okay. It's always about building for the future. A&M's future actually is a lot brighter, even though they possibly lose Anaya Smith, even though they possibly really lose Kenyon Green and Jalen Weidemeyer and Leon O'Neal and Michael Clements and DeMarvin Leal. There's players already in the system that are so fluent and know the system right now, along with the number one recruiting class, to where that feels like it's a brand new day. And isn't that what you want? A brand new day in College Station, one where you can look forward to every single morning? I'd like so. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. I will be back tomorrow to break down the rumors of Jimbo Fisher, talk about some bowl games of whether, you know, where Texas A&M could start looking, breaking out whether the recruiting class, and much, much more, especially what Jimbo Fisher had to say at Monday's press conference. See you tomorrow. Remember, hear me all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.